Good morning, church. Today I'll be reading 2 Corinthians 9, 1-7. through Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has already been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it is necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is God's word. Hey, Cross Point. Um, glad you joined us for our online services today. My name's Ryan. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors, and maybe you're new with us. Uh, we're so glad that you could join us online, and we look forward to meeting you in person as we hope to gather again in the next several weeks. We will share more on that as we learn more, but we also n- know that uh, the day is coming soon. So, um, before I get into the sermon today, I want to share about an experience that I had this morning. Uh, so today is Friday afternoon uh, that I'm uh, preaching this sermon, uh, but this morning I uh, was a part of a prayer walk. Uh, it was a locally organized walk among several faith community leaders, church community leaders. And uh, we uh, marched from um, the Orlando, uh, uh, what is it, Camping World Stadium down to the arena off of Church Street. And uh, there was an assembly uh, of people as we gathered together on the stage, there were uh, local officials, uh, the mayor, uh, the Orlando police chief, Orlando Rulon, Orange County Sheriff, John Mina, and it was a somber gathering. It was a gathering where we grieved together, we hoped together, we prayed together. In fact, it was humbling to see these city officials on their knees on the stage. And the, the organizer, Pastor Tim Johnson, he said this, if we don't grieve together, we won't heal together. If we don't grieve together, we won't heal together. You know, I don't know how you have experienced the last week, but I've experienced it in one of chaos, division, misunderstanding, having to explain myself. Maybe you have as well. But in the middle of that chaos and division, there's an opportunity. And when the church is the church that the city needs, the church that God has called us to be, when there's injustice that's experienced, we're grieving together so that we would heal together. Crosspoint, we have an opportunity. The opportunity that we have is to declare the gospel in the darkness so that the light of Christ would shine brightly. So I welcome the division. I welcome the chaos because I welcome the opportunity. It's an opportunity first to grieve, 
It's an opportunity also to heal. And as we heal, we as a church will heal together and we will seek to bring that healing to the community. And that healing means that we seek action. Lord, what would you have us do? How does your word speak into some of what we're experiencing? The days ahead, Crosspoint, are days ahead for us to learn together, for us to open the word of God and declare what the truth of God says about the things that are happening in our society. And then not only to hear of those things in our mind and to believe those things in our heart, but to act on those things with our willpower by the power of the Holy Spirit. So would you join me in praying that it would be so? Father, we ask that you would make it true, that, Lord, we would grieve, and you would, God, have our hearts and our feelings and our emotions right now surrounding the death of George Floyd and the injustices. And, God, we also recognize that our world feels like it's on fire. The riots, the looting, the things that right now are stealing from the ultimate good of that which is being done, Lord. We ask that, God, you would help us bring light to the darkness. And we know that the darkness, God, cannot stand in the light. We know that it will run from you, Lord. So, Lord, help us cause the darkness to flee. God, by bringing about your justice and your mercy here now, that we would learn and grow together and that we would act together. For your kingdom come, your will to be done in Orlando as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, and Paul, again, is talking to the church of Corinth about giving. The context is that the church in Jerusalem has gone through uh, some form of hardship. Many believe that it was likely a combination of persecution and famine. And this previously wealthy and well-to-do church was now dependent upon the gifts of the churches surrounding them, actually the Gentile churches. So it was a really unique expression of unity in that the Jewish Christian converts in Jerusalem who at one point didn't know if a Gentile could be converted and welcomed into the family of God, although we saw that to be true. We know that Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul has been telling the Gentiles of this Jewish Christian church and their need, and he's been collecting a gift from them, and Corinth is one of those churches. And what Paul's heart for the church of Corinth is that they would be a generous church. When I think about a generous church, I think about the ride home that I had with my kids one evening after leaving some friend's house. My kids had been given by these friends a fresh $5 bill. And as they're in the car and they're exploring this $5 bill, by the way, you got to love those friends. The kids always want to go to their house. And as they're driving home, uh, they're fascinated exploring this $5 bill, but they're also thinking about, what do I want to do with it? Then one of my children asked my wife, Mommy, is tomorrow Sunday? It was Saturday <laughs> that day. And she says, yep. She says, I, I'm going to put my $5 in the offering basket. And then the other two looked over kind of perplexed and then thought about it for a moment and one after another said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to put it in the offering basket. We want to give to the church. And, you know, I was 
filled with joy because of the joy of generosity that my kids just expressed. And my heart was filled with a pleasure in them, a pride in them. Helps me understand here what Paul says when he says God loves a cheerful giver. And really the big idea of our passage today is that God is more concerned with the heart of the giver than what the giver gives. We think that God is more concerned with the gift. God isn't concerned with the gift. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And our heart declares what we treasure, what we value. So that's why God is more concerned with your heart than he is with the gift. First thing we see in this passage is that Paul uh, is, is telling uh, the church of Corinth uh, and encouraging them in their readiness to give. Uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, let me read that. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come, to come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. Now, Paul, uh, as you have read chapter 8, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you know that Paul has used the church of, of Macedonia as an example of generosity. He said that out of an extreme poverty and affliction, they gave out of a wealth, an overflow of abundance. That although they were a church of meager means, they gave generously beyond what they could afford. And he tells this story of the church of Macedonia to the church of Corinth, but he also has told the story of the church of Corinth to the church of Macedonia because in the church of Corinth, he saw a readiness to give, a desire to give, a zeal to give. This was a year ago when he had told them about the church in Jerusalem. And now he's encouraging them to make good on what they said they wanted to do. There's a readiness to give. And he wanted to see that readiness brought to fruition. When I think about a readiness to give, I think about what does God have to do in our heart to make us want to give? And uh, in the church of Corinth, it was that there was a transforming work of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. For you know this grace that God lavished upon you. You know this grace that God has given you. You know this work that Jesus has done for you, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And that transforming work of grace gave them a new affection, gave them a new desire. Or previously, there may not have been a ready heart for generosity. God had made ready their heart to give. Do you desire to give to the work of the gospel? You know, the only thing 
that can create a desire to give for the work of the gospel is a work of the gospel in our lives. <laughs> That's the only thing. If we really, truly want to have a heart that is generous for the work of the gospel, a work of the gospel has to do its work in our hearts first so that we are made ready. That's why Jesus talks about so much about money. It's not about money. It's about the heart. Jesus seeks to transform the human heart. Scott Haifman says the call to give is a call to flee the idolatrous worship of the dollar. That's transformation. We would flee the idolatrous worship of a dollar. That we would not cherish it in a way that it's our Lord. And that we would flee the idolatrous worship of self by trusting in God's grace alone for our happiness and security. To talk about money is to talk about God. That's why Jesus talked a lot about money, because he knew that the way we viewed money said something about the way we viewed God. And that's a work of grace that makes a readiness that transforms us. Grace produces a readiness by giving us a new desire, the desire to give. Grace produces the readiness by making room in our hearts to give. Produces a readiness by making room in our budgets to give. Produces a readiness by cutting the unnecessary things from our life that free up the things that will allow us to be more generous for the cause of the gospel. People coming to know and have faith in Jesus Christ. For the church of Corinth, it would have been a shame if they only had the readiness to give but they never gave. You know, Paul didn't want to see that happen. He didn't want to send Titus and his entourage to go and make the collection, but yet they weren't ready because they weren't ready. They never followed through on that desire or that desire never came to fruition. That's why you have to have the readiness of give coupled with the willingness to give. Willingness to give is something that is produced by faith. Faith produces a willingness to give because a willingness is the actual act of giving. I will give because God has given so much to me. Faith looks forward to the promises of God with a certain hope in the future that he has planned for us. Let's see uh, this together in uh, chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. It was important that the gift be a gift. Paul didn't want to manipulate it. He didn't want to use his apostolic authority to twist their arm to do it. He didn't want them to be motivated by his approval in them. He wanted it to be a willing gift, not an exaction, not given in reluctance, not given by manipulation, but given by a generous heart that has faith in God for tomorrow. You know, in several years of pastoring, I've realized that it's not simply greed 
that causes us to be motivated not to give. Oftentimes I find even in my own life, it's not greed that says that I can't give this, it's fear. It's fear. I, I wonder if tomorrow is going to be certain. And that fear, when it's not looking, when my life isn't looking at God with eyes of faith, I'm often looking at the world with eyes of fear. I wonder what tomorrow is going to bring. And if I wonder what tomorrow is going to bring, then I'm trying to control things. I want to make sure that I have retirement planned for. I want to make sure that the kids are going to college. And, you know, these things are good things. They're things I encourage you to do. But don't let fear be the motivator. Let faith in God be the motivator. Because, yes, you can adequately plan but you will never be able to plan the world directly in your control. You will never be able to control the outcome of your future. That's why God is calling us to faith in him. You know, it's uh, something that Carrie and I went through when we uh, moved from Lake Nona to Orlando. That was a huge step of faith. We're transitioning schools from our children. We're in a new community. We are entering into a higher cost of living uh, because in that time, it was uh, a lot more expensive to live in downtown Orlando than in Lake Nona. We bought our house, uh, the previous house that we lived in at the bottom of the market. And over the six years that we lived in Lake Nona, the market continued to increase, increase, increase. And so we sold the house with a generous profit. And that generous profit was something that we knew we would have to put completely towards the new home that we would be in. But it was important for us to see what God had given to us so that we could entrust what he was calling us to give back to him for his work in the church, for the gospel, for the city. So God laid a number on our heart and it wasn't the number that scared me. It was the giving of it. It was the falling through with the desire. God had called us to give this gift. The question was, would we give it? Would we give the gift that God had called us to give? There's a temptation, yeah, maybe we should give a little less than that, half of that. But no, eyes of faith God was calling us to as we led Cross Point downtown, as we led our family. And as today we look back, we see that it was a decision God has led us to, to trust him. Because that's what generosity asks. A willingness to give asks. Do you have faith in him? Do you trust him? Scott Hafman, he writes, We give to others, therefore, as an expression of trust to meet our needs today. We should, not give least, we should not give simply out of a surplus from the past, nor should we give in our hope of getting more in the future. Rather, not worrying about tomorrow and trusting God to sustain us through the trouble of today. Jesus says a little something about this in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Our readiness to give is brought to completion by our willingness to give, which comes as a result of faith 
in God. Faith in God asks, do we trust him for today? In my own life, I've found that I have to preach the gospel to myself through this on a regular basis. I ask myself three questions, and I ask these questions of myself regularly. I would encourage you to ask the same questions so you could preach the gospel to yourself when you're struggling with fear over faith. Um, here's the first question I ask. Has God ever let me down? Has he ever let me down? For anyone who's truly trusted him, has he ever let you down? Has he brought you to where you are today? Look at your past. Yes, it's filled with a struggle, but it's also filled with a story of God graciously carrying you through. Second question I ask is, has God not promised me a perfect and eternal future in Christ Jesus? Has he not taken care of me in the past and has he not have my future secured in Christ? I know what tomorrow is going to bring. Now, I might not know what the next 24 hours is going to bring or the next seven days or the next seven years, but I know my, my future is certain through the blood-bought work of Christ. The third question I ask myself, what makes me think that God will fail me right now? What makes me think that he's going to leave me on my own? It was Christ that was left alone on the cross. He was forsaken so that I would not be. So that I would trust in him and have faith in him and be sure that he will carry me through. This is the storyline of the Bible. It's filled with the stories of struggle and faith in God's deliverance. And he will carry you through. And you are called to be generous with what God has given you as a result. Not looking ahead towards tomorrow and how are your needs going to be met, but trusting in God and knowing that the troubles of the day are sufficient for themselves. Last point, the happiness of giving. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, the reader in Corinth that was reading Paul's words would have understood farming. You know, it doesn't really take a rocket scientist for us to understand this, but farmers don't reap a harvest when they're sowing seeds with their hands closed. It's just not a good formula to reap a harvest. But when a, when a farmer is sowing seed, they open their hands like this, and they sow seed generously, bountifully. Because they know that more generously they sow the seed, they know the prospect becomes greater, that they will more generously reap the harvest. The more bountifully they sow the seed, they know that there is a more bountiful harvest that's possible. Think of what God has given you as seed to sow. And when you think of what God has given you as seed to sow, you want to give it away. You want to give it away because you know that when you give it away, you're entrusting it to the work of the Lord. Even the farmer knew he couldn't control the way the crops were going to grow, but he knew he could do his part. And that sowing that seed generously was his part. And the same is true for us. You can do your part trusting in God with what God's given you and sow that seed. Don't let any of it be left over. Spend it all for the kingdom 
and the mercy and glory of God and know that he will provide for you. Because with that bountiful harvest, that bountiful sowing comes a bountiful reaping. And that bountiful reaping means that you can give even more generously. You know, the goal of giving isn't so that you would get more. The goal of giving is that you could give more. You can give more. We're going to talk about that next week. But sow that seed and you'll be amazed at how God provides for you. And it's not for yourself. It's for his kingdom, for his glory. Kevin DeYoung says, the tight fist that holds on to money is also the closed fist that cannot receive any more from God. This is sometimes the way we pray. God, would you give me more? 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 But in reality, it says, God, thank you for what you've given me. Help me be a good steward of what you've given me. I trust you with what you've given me. I give back what you've given me for your glory. I want to see your gospel advance. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see you work through these meager gifts and that there would be a bountiful harvest as a result. We would be open-handed and know that God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what we see in verse 7, and it's exactly that. Each one must give as he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one. Each one. Each one. Each one. No one's disqualified from this. Everybody has something to give. Everybody. And it's not about what you give. It's about the heart behind it. That you wouldn't give with reluctance. That you wouldn't give under compulsion, but you would give willingly. That you wouldn't give in order that God would give back to you so that you could spend it on your greeds. But you would know that God will meet your every need and that you would sow that seed with joy because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that begs us to ask the question, if I lack joy, does that mean I shouldn't give? No. No, you should give. But we should seek ways that the joy of our heart would increase to create a generously joyful gift. Sam Storms gives us five ways to grow in the joy of generosity. Number one, we confess the sin of joylessness. If you're struggling right now in giving with joy, confess it. Confess it. I mean, we're here at home. You could do it right from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to do it to show anybody anything, but you could simply say it under your breath right now, I'm struggling. Confess it. The second thing, pray that God would help me know true joy in him. Confession with petition. Confession and prayer. Lord, help me know joy in you. Help me know true joy in you. The third thing uh, Sam Storm says uh, that is a part of growing in the joy of generosity is mapping out a biblical strategy for renewing joy. You know, listen, I know that sounds complicated, but it really isn't. Your joy is found in the words and pages of Scripture. God has given that to you for your renewal. You're not going to find the joy of the Lord if you're not looking here. I want to help you look there. 
I want to show you where to look, but I'm telling you, friends, that a discipline in the scripture in prayer is a great place to start to see the renewal of joy in your life. And if you go to the Lord with eager expectation, he will meet your every need by helping you and causing you to grow in his word. The fourth thing that Sam Storm says we need to grow in the joy of generosity is to think about hell. Think about hell. <laughs> now, you put money and hell together, you oftentimes find that there's a recipe for disaster, but hear me out for a minute. The reason why we're to think about hell for generosity is because it helps us to know what God has saved us from. And if we know what God has saved us from, it will bring us joy. Sam Storms writes, you will be amazed at how a brief time of meditation on the agonies of hell from which you have been graciously delivered will serve to increase and deepen your joy and gratitude. If you know that he has saved you from the fiery pits of hell to the eternal glory of heaven, it will, it will develop an overwhelming joy in God and what he's done for you. And then the fifth thing, go ahead and give generously anyway. Go ahead, just give generously anyway. Spoken like a true pastor, right? You are to give generously anyway because you know that God will give you the joy that you are lacking because you're trusting in him. Sometimes I find that my heart has to catch up with my actions. This is one of those cases. If you struggle with joy, it doesn't mean don't give. It means that you give by faith and trust that the bountiful harvest that God is producing is a heart that finds its joy in the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. At the heart of a cheerful giver is a heart that finds ultimate joy in God. This is how you have a heart of generosity, is you have a heart for the Lord. A heart that finds satisfaction in Him. A heart that finds happiness in Him. A heart that knows that you are a child of God. And when you give generously, it brings His pleasure. And that heart is a heart that's been transformed by grace through faith and now is filled with a joy that abounds in generosity. Where do we see the ultimate picture of a cheerful giver? Well, we see it in Jesus. Jesus was not a reluctant giver. His arm wasn't twisted. He wasn't manipulated. Jesus laid down his life voluntarily of his own free volition so that you could have it, so that I could have it. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, it was joy that motivated Jesus to endure the cross with outstretched arms. It was joy that motivated Jesus to despise the sin and the shame. It was joy that motivated 
Jesus to trade the riches of his eternal glory for the poverty and rags of your sin. It was the joy of Christ that has set you free. So may the joy of the Lord give us strength. May may we be more like Jesus as he lavished us with generous joy. May we lavish the church with generous joy, those in need with generous joy, the lost community with generous joy. And may we show them the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for his joy laid down his life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you laid your life down in joy. Lord, it's those things we ask for right now. Produce it in our hearts. Produce it in our lives. Make us a generous people. Make us a generous people by helping us fall more deeply in love with you and finding our joy and satisfaction totally and completely in you. And make us cheerful givers. In Jesus' name, amen.